This week on the Vergecast, Addie Robertson and Tom Warren join the show to go over everything we learned from the first week of the Epic versus Apple trial. It is a lot. This episode's a ride. It's the Vergecast. Here we go. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of the movie Demolition Man, which is all that I have thought about recently. If you watched Demolition Man in the context of like current antitrust law, it's very good. Anyway, mm. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm the shells. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Maybe the best and longest running joke of that movie. That voice you heard was Addie Robertson. Hey, Addie. Hey. Tom Warren is here. Hello. I've read too many confidential documents. <laughs> so uh, Addie and Tom are here because they are covering the Apple versus Epic trial. I'm going to tell you straight out, this whole episode is Apple versus Epic and what is happening in this trial. We are recording on Friday. It's the end of week one. The trial is scheduled for three weeks. I'm going to tell you, it seems likely the next two weeks, the Vergecast are going to be about this trial as well. I want to start at the start with COVID as always, though. Just one update. The, the website. Website. The, the vaccine. They actually launched a day early. Yeah. They were supposed to launch it on May 1, and they launched it a day early. It is almost exactly the same as the previous vaccine locator website. They changed the colors, and they added a Spanish language option. Hmm. That It took them six weeks. The government remains unmatched in developing websites. Yeah. But they did. It's there. <laughs> you can go get it. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please look at this website. You can walk in all kinds of places now. Just go get it done. I'm tired of this. All right. <laughs> That's my COVID update for the week. <laughs> Get it done. I'm tired of it. Let's start with this trial. This trial is months in the making. Addie, just lay the foundation. Why, why is this trial happening and, and sort of what does it look like? So yeah, approximately the trial is happening because Fortnite, which is one of the most popular games in the world, added a new payment system for its V-Bucks, its in-game currency, that bypassed the Apple tax or the 30% charge that Apple puts on digital in-app purchases. Apple said, no, this breaks our rules. They kicked Fortnite off the store. They made a big deal out of the fact that it was a sort of underhanded, surreptitious change in a hotfix rather than something Epic went through the formal review process for. And then Epic sued saying that iOS is basically an ecosystem where the app market in it is a monopoly. And it sued Apple over antitrust violation. And so now that's where we are. One company suing another company for antitrust violations is not, it doesn't happen a lot. That's not how we usually think about it. We usually think about 
the government bringing up Facebook or something like that. Yep. What specifically is Epic asking for from the court here? Epic's asking for two big things. The first thing is tied to the in-app payment service in Fortnite and in other apps and games, which is that they want to say that that's its own market and you should, if you're selling in-app purchases or subscriptions through the store, you should be able to use your own alternative payment method rather than going through Apple's own payment SDK. So that's the thing that would be a really big financial hit for Apple, but not a massive existential definitional crisis. The second thing, which is that, is that they want you to be able to sideload alternative apps or alternative app stores especially onto the iPhone, basically make the iPhone a lot more like Android. This matters in part to Epic because Epic has the Epic Game Store, and if they want to launch a mobile version of that on iOS, that's something that suddenly would become possible if they prevail in that part of the lawsuit. So those are the two specific things Epic is saying the court should order. Let us use our own payment system. Let us siloed apps, including other app stores, onto the iPhone. Yeah, essentially, yeah. What do they have to prove to, to do that? Is it just Apple's bad, or is it there other specifics? So they have to prove it a really oversimplified level that... A, the iPhone ecosystem is a thing that Apple has a monopoly over, as opposed to just like one product that it happens to put apps on, and that it's causing some kind of consumer harm by monopolizing that market in an unfair way. It seems like a, a, high, a high lift, but we'll get into that, what, what's happened this first week to do that. The trial is also like pretty strange in that it is not, there's no jury. It's a bench trial. Right. The judge is just sort of listening to everything and deciding. Pops in to ask questions sometimes. Yeah, and she's just, it's it's strange. It's not what you would expect. It feels kind of like a like a very contentious meeting in some respects, because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like the judge is asking questions. It's also being streamed to the press, but then there are pirate streams. Mechanic Kelly wrote an entire piece about just Discord piracy of the trial audio stream, and it, it seems like that has somehow colored the trial itself, right? That it's people in the very beginning, like people are like yelling on the stream. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also colored the trial in that clearly they're introducing things with the intent of getting them in front of a bunch of people. And the judge knows this. And the judge is also trying to make decisions based on whether like the public is going to interpret a document correctly. Yeah. That to me, like that element of it, it's hard to listen to it and not know that that is in the background of the judge's mind, that she knows a lot of people are listening to it, whether or not that they're supposed to. She knows that the documents are getting produced, the internal emails on stuff are getting produced and immediately disseminated. And she's trying to control that part of it while also serving as like the judge and the fact finder in the entire case. That seems like a losing proposition, trying to moderate all of the news industrial complex on the internet and also run a trial at the same time. That seems like a lot. I think what she wants to sort of do is if she thinks that one side is trying to manipulate like the court of public opinion, she wants to try to limit that. Like that there was this whole controversy yesterday. I guess I don't know. It was an argument, not a it can't have a controversy with two people um, <laughs> where Epic's lawyer kept trying to introduce things to establish a kind of state of mind where Apple knew that there were these problems with the app store because developers kept emailing them complaining it's full of scams. And the judge is like, well, you don't actually have evidence that it's full of scams. You have somebody saying that. And they're like, yes, we're trying to establish the state of mind. And they're just like, no, the public doesn't know that. They have no <laughs> idea that the app store isn't actually just full of scams. 
So they have like introduced some of that in there, but it's a part of the trial. Yeah. And I say that just to lay the foundation of, I mean, you and Tom have been listening to it. Liz Lopato is actually in the courtroom today. There's rotating pool reporters. I'm very excited to read Liz's descriptions of what is actually inside the courtroom because we haven't been able to see it. There's just pool reports like Phil Schiller. binders. Every side has 50 binders. (laughs) 50 like binders, like three ring binders. Five zero. I don't know if they're three ring. I can't see them. Um, I'm just going from what people say. I'm just so excited Liz is in there to see it. Both companies have designated representatives. Phil Schiller is Apple's representative. So he's just been sitting there in his mask, just like fuming at this testimony the whole time. Like it's incredible. Okay. So that's, I just want to set the stage for people, give a sense of what this trial is, how it's operating. Let's start with Sweeney. He was the first witness up on the stand. This is Epic's side. One of the things as we went into trial coverage, as we have learned from other trials we've covered, the broad audience as they read our coverage doesn't always realize like one side goes and makes its case and then the other side goes. So Epic is calling all of its witnesses right now and making its case. Their first witness was Tim Sweeney, who's the CEO. Sweeney's a character. I don't know that he did great. Addy, how, how, how did you think that that went? It's a little hard for me to tell because Tim Sweeney is A, a pretty soft-spoken guy, and B, as far as I can tell, like, I don't know, his microphone was covered in 20 layers of spider web. He was, <laughs> like, almost unintelligible on the stream, um, on the public and private stream. Uh, so that probably didn't help his case outside court. Uh, inside court, I he clearly came prepared to make a bunch of really heady arguments about what Fortnite is and why Fortnite is cool. Beyond that, I think that it seemed a little bit less certain that the judge was buying all of those arguments. And he also, like, there are just a whole lot of things that he wasn't going to ever get into, like App Store security, which has been the focus of, like, the last day. Yeah, so Sweeney is there to make the distinction, and we're going to talk about a bunch of these distinctions, between general purpose computers and game consoles, between web apps and native apps, between games and the metaverse, Right, he he, we're, he's trying to create frameworks where the iPhone is one kind of thing, and consoles are another kind of thing. Where Fortnite is not a video game, but this broader economic engine that everyone is calling a metaverse right now, which we could talk about for the full episode if you wanted to. <laughs> where web apps are limited in what they can do, and that means that innovation is limited because Apple controls both platforms on the iPhone. Actually, did he succeed in that? Like, let's start with. Like, what is a game? What is, like, Sweeney's vision of what a game is? Did he present that well to the judge? So Sweeney basically defined what is a game in... So if it's the part of Fortnite where you kill each other, that's a game. Uh, If it's the part (laughs) where you go to concerts, that's not a game. There were some more fine distinctions where, like, a game has challenges, it has scores, it's... uh, He sort of went in... He kind of conflated games with competitive games with the, the judge actually called out. But he overall just calls this like this phenomenon that transcends gaming and makes a big deal out of the fact that you can watch other media in Fortnite, which is, I think, his way of saying that part's not a game because it's other art. Right. And so and this is where we're going to talk about Netflix and Hulu down the line. But the argument is you can sign up for Netflix and just like watch a bunch of stuff in Netflix. No one thinks Netflix is a game, even though Bandersnatch exists in Netflix. Oh, somebody in the, in the courtroom definitely thinks Netflix is a game. <laughs> they mentioned Bandersnatch. We're, right. I'm just saying, like, that's what I'm getting at is, like, in the end, these things are all actually converging in various ways. And Apple's distinctions for its App Store rules 
are running up against the fact that there is convergence of media in that way. It's also the one of the things that didn't get that much attention is the fact that Fortnite, they're like trying to turn it into a creation tool. That's where the metaverse comes in, which is his vision is there's a world where a bunch of the most of the money that you make in Fortnite is stuff that you transfer to another person who's making a thing. And if that happens, Fortnite's kind of made its own Internet and Apple wants 30 percent of that. And Epic thinks that's super unfair. Can we just step back just for a half a second and explain why the game distinction matters? Because if Apple takes a 30% cut on all digital stuff that happens, why does it matter if it's a game or a video service or a metaverse or whatever to this specific case? I mean, that's kind of one of the weird things is like, (laughs) it's always a little bit unclear how much is just for like, people from Epic trying to talk up Fortnite as being this really amazing thing that people benefit from having Mm. and how much of it is like they're arguing that Fortnite is way more than a game. It's way bigger than a game. It shouldn't just be treated like games. Like they're also, Neil, I should probably try to explain this, but they've been trying to say that Apple's trying to say this is just something that should be limited completely to like this case applies to games And they're trying to make this argument that whatever remedy happens, it should be applied to, like, any app on the store because Fortnite is, like, a bunch of other apps. And it's not just, like, part of the gaming category. Yeah, it's like it's a series of, like, conditional statements, right? Like, the Larry Lessig way of describing the laws that it's code and, like... In this case, the arguments are just, like, nested conditional statements. So you've got, if Fortnite is a game, then Apple's rule that games have to pay 30% like stands because they can make that rule elsewhere. Fortnite's not a game. Then Apple needs to make a rule that covers all in-app purchases and they control this whole part of the economy. If Netflix is a game, it falls into that same category. So like they're arguing about these definitions because they want to escape whatever narrow categories it seems fair to, for Apple to impose rules in. So if Apple says, we've just got this, we operate this part of the iPhone like the Xbox and you are accepting that deal, and inside of the games industry, the 30% cut is competitive and fair, because look at where you pay that same rate. Epic is saying, well, we're not a game. We're the future of all economic activity in the metaverse. What are you gonna do about that? And Apple has to come up with some definition that encompasses that. Or they could say, and this is I think where the the most vergecast part of this whole (laughs) thing is, they're saying, well, the Xbox is a game console and the iPhone is a general purpose computer. And here are the differences between those things. And Apple is like parsing the differences ever more finely between all of those things. And ultimately, you know, the judge is going to make some determination, which might be very simple, which is the iPhone has a contract and you broke it. Right. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, like that is a thing that Epic did. The iPhone has a bunch of rules that iPhone developer agreement has a terms of use agreement and Epic just like knowingly broke it. If you really want mind bending stuff, they just earlier today have been having an argument about whether Roblox is a game and Apple's position is that Roblox is not a game. Right. So this is, th- that one to me is really, really interesting, but it, it actually like, I think it cuts to the heart of the big philosophical question for me. They're arguing about Roblox because there are literally developers who make games for Roblox. There are team, there's Roblox developer kits you can just like run around, make stuff in Roblox, and sell it to people. Those are also is, not games. The, <laughs> they might be games. 
No, they're right? not games. Apple says well, they're not games. Apple says they're not games. The reason <laughs> that they've had to parse Roblox into a different category is because if you say Roblox is a platform in which there are other experiences that you can pay for that may or may not be games, how on earth do you distinguish that from xCloud? Right? How on earth do you distinguish that from Minecraft? Like, Yeah, I, I think it, like this fundamentally speaks to, like App, I think the Apple's biggest fear about like protecting the App Store is that they don't want someone to make a virtual app store that you can get to within an app that then gets around their 30% and, and creates its own sort of like app store within an app store. That's, that's, that's kind of their fear, which is not something they will say or admit, but you can see throughout their policies and the way that they enforce them that that is very much it. Because like you just mentioned in xCloud, I, I can sign up to a shadow cloud gaming service, which is kind of similar. But the distinction between xCloud, which is obviously Microsoft's cloud Xbox streaming to the browser or to an Android device, the distinction between that shadow service and xCloud is that that shadow service works because you're remoting into a Windows PC. So you're, you're remoting into like a PC that you supposedly own somewhere, whether it's in a, you know, a server or at home. That's the distinction. The, the, the xCloud is different because it presents its UI and everything about it as if it's like a store or an app store. And, and that front and that usability, I think Apple is ultimately fearful of someone or you know, a bunch of different apps springing up in the app store that will take the focus away from the app store. So someone will come in and, and create their own app store within the app store. And I don't think you can separate that from the context of Apple has publicly, loudly committed to services revenue as its growth engine. And a huge chunk of that is the App Store. And a huge further chunk of that is in-app purchases in games. Like, there is just some significant portion of Apple's revenue that is Candy Crush Whales. And we will never know yeah, yeah. unless Epic demands <laughs> that that document is produced. I hope they do. Tim Sweeney, if you're listening, I think we'd all like to know. But, like... One of the, this is like a much broader subject, but one of the weird things about the app store having a review process and it it feeling like a court is at the end of the day, that court is deeply aware of Apple's revenue. Like the United States Supreme Court does not issue quarterly earnings, right? It's not beholden to like an economic model. The chief justice of the United States Supreme Court doesn't get fired if the revenue doesn't go up three quarters in a row. Although that would be amazing. <laughs> It would be amazing. <laughs> but like Phil Schiller runs the app store and like at the end of the day, he's an Apple executive who whose job is tied up into Apple's economic performance. And there's like something really deeply troubling about that. Uh, I don't want to like fall too deeply down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But this is a lot of what we're talking about. The Apple makes the rules for the store. Yeah. Those rules are, and we'll talk about this in a bit. Those rules are clearly like, directed towards protecting Apple's revenue or in some cases increasing Apple's revenue and the game streaming apps are like at the heart of this debate. Actually, can we take, just take a small pause? I, I do want to get into whether or not we should be uh, having uh, governments with profit motives. That sounds like the next three hours of my life that I would love to spend. <laughs> Instead, I just want to point out since we're talking about Phil Schiller and Apple executives and profit motive, like actually seeing these emails in the documents, it's like, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're business people. Like the, the veneer of yeah. like perfect, Apple keynote, you know, world that you usually get out of them is just like completely shattered by a lot of the stuff if you really start looking at the documents. And it's a lot like, oh wow, he's terrible, but it's actually like, oh no, he's a he's a business person. They they're just he's making a great, business they are, decisions. 
They are Apple's executives are not bad at business. Right. No. Right. They run the most valuable company on earth. And it is growing. They have more cash in the bank than most countries, right? Like they are very, very good at operating that business. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a particular scenario, like you, you, you said about those emails and sort of the veneer. There's an email, I think it's like, I don't know exactly when it is. It's around about 10 years ago, or maybe not even that long ago, but it's, it's Schiller. He's basically arguing with Microsoft's team. A bunch of Apple people are arguing about having Office on iOS, essentially, and they've been having meetings with Microsoft. And ultimately, his email, the last like line is like, it's our store, it's our revenue. Yeah, like and that, wow. that, that's kind of that kind of really <laughs> underlines like the way that Apple sees its App Store, and I think even though that's quite some time ago when they were arguing with getting Office on there with the thirty percent stuff, mm-hmm. I think that still stands today. Like that's the way that they always trying to defend it. It's, you know, it's our store, so we should be making money off of it, and you sh- you guys should be happy. You should be happy that we made this store, like, yeah. and you're going to pay for it. Like I, this I came up. Um, I don't think there's going to be an executive from the Match Group called by Epic soon. This is all happening in the context of congressional action. Senator Amy Klobuchar was just on decoder. She said she was watching this trial very closely, but at the same time, she just had a hearing with executives from match group and Epic and other companies. And the executives from match group recounted a phone conversation, which Apple said, you owe us everything. And then said, we are all afraid of Apple. Right. So all these things are happening in parallel. I think Epic in particular is very aware that even if they lose this trial, all this other stuff is happening, right? And really, they're just producing this mountain of evidence of how Apple behaves that can feed into all this other stuff. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's... I think Epic... Like, I, I don't know if they're going into this thinking we're going to lose or whatever, but they've got like a giant task to prove the points that they need to prove. And just listening to it this, this week, I don't think they're doing that particularly well, but what I do think they're doing is that they're they're trying to get these documents out there. They're, they're trying to get evidence out there that other regulators, whether it be you know, international ones or even at home in the US, will look at and go, okay, we haven't seen this evidence before. And just trying to get some of those arguments out there into the public. Like you can you can very much tell that because some of the some of the arguments they've been having, even just, you know, between the attorneys about which documents should be redacted and which shouldn't. You can just tell that this is a document finding exercise that they're spending a lot of money on. And, and, and it just feels like that. So, What you're talking about there is the testimony of Lori Wright, who's an Xbox vice president. Before we get to that, I want to just come back to game streaming for a minute. There were xCloud executives and NVIDIA executives called to the stand to talk about how their game streaming services work. How did that go and what were the, what were the main sort of points of contention there? Yeah, so the first one was from NVIDIA. And they basically, they, they quizzed him primarily, it was, it was a lot about latency. That was Epic, the Epic game side. They, they, I think they were trying to prove, basically, Apple has forced them down this route to go to the web browser. Why does that, like, why does that matter for a start? And if it matters, like, why, why can't they make it into a native app? Um, so it's, it's kind of trying to speak to those policies of, like, why, why is Apple blocking cloud gaming? Or not, not even blocking it, but just making it more difficult for these companies to do it in a way. And it, it, speak, it speaks again back to that point I made earlier, is that these companies obviously want to present it in a sort of store-like interface for cloud games. You just click and go. Apple wants them to package these games up individually. That's like saying to Netflix, you know, put all your TV shows, all your movies separately onto the store, and then you can have another app that kind of 
lets you link out to them. It's like it's such a task and there's so much licensing involved that no company is probably even able to do that. So they, they brought in this NVIDIA engineer. Um, and one of the, the points that I think he made that I don't know if the judge will really pick up on closely, but like I thought it was interesting is that the argument between this native and web app is that they're obviously forced to use Safari or WebKit, uh, the, the web rendering engine for Safari. They're forced to use that. And maybe that's not the best that's out there. Like Chromium might be better or there could be better decoders that are used to like pull that video stream in from the game, that, but more optimal, create less lag. So they focused a lot on that. So that was kind of like the, the NVIDIA thing. Obviously, NVIDIA has a relationship with Epic Games. They brought they eventually brought, you know, Fortnite to the iPhone through the web browser. So there was a bit of back and forth about that. And then obviously they brought in Microsoft as well. And Microsoft's obviously, they, so in this case, they, they've talked about xCloud and said that they spent three to four months sort of going back and forth with Apple and how Apple was initially like, oh yeah, we might, you know, let you go, do the Audible or Netflix sort of style route into the store. And then they were like, no, nah, we're not going to. And then they brought up Laurie Wright from Xbox, who's like their Xbox VP of business. And she was talking about xCloud as well and how they'd spent you know, three to four months to try and get xCloud on the store. And ultimately, there was a back and forth with Apple and it didn't happen. One thing that did happen, though, is that Microsoft sent an email to Apple to say, hey, why is Netflix allowed to do Bandersnatch? And why is this shadow gaming company allowed to do, you know, streaming games from a Windows PC, but we're not allowed to do xCloud? And, and Apple was like, uh, let's get rid of shadow. So they like pressed the button and <laughs> shadow just went yeah. <laughs> temporarily. Um, uh, we also learned, it, by the way, in this trial that Apple refers to that as UTB. Which stands yes. for under the bus. And <laughs> one developer has thrown another developer under the bus. Amazing. Or, or press or a user. Anytime yeah. somebody pointed out a problem with an app and they deleted it, it was up until I think 2016 uh, that it was UTB. Nice. UTB. Under the bus. When you when we say these companies are just run by people, like that is like the <laughs> ultimate example. Yeah. Of like yeah. they just came up with a phrase or like under the bus. Yeah. That's what we call it. It's the official app store review lingo. Um, I've been very good. So I've been very I quiet. Know. Dieter, this is your moment. But we, we just talked about, about uh, web apps a little bit. So here's the thing. Apple does not ban you doing whatever you want in the browser. And so you could, uh, you could do a game streaming service. But they effectively banned game streaming services up until very, very recently because mobile Safari just didn't have the capability that you really needed in order to pull off a game streaming service over the browser. And so all the stuff that's come up about latency and like what, you know, they didn't mention progressive web apps, but that's effectively what they were talking about um, and what Safari they, is. They touched on them at one point oh, very briefly. Very briefly. They yeah, brought it they up. Did. Yeah. That's just like the rest of the internet then. It's perfect. It came up very briefly and then everyone forgot about it. <laughs> they just said it's a web app that pretends to be more like an app. Yeah, that's that's basically right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Pretend web app. Yeah. That's what it stands for. Um, actually, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are other things that a web app could do. And so Tom and I wrote this piece. It's like, look, web apps will never be as good as native apps. I've got many, many people yelling at me about that, that it's possible for a web app to be as good as a native app if everybody would just implement this one standard, which is a probably true. And it's a thing that I've heard for the last 10 years. So let's set that sidebar. <laughs> um, Safari just can't do a bunch of stuff that would like really, really make web apps much more powerful and it's at like a like web standards level but also just at like a platform level the install flow for getting a web app off of safari onto your home screen is bad 
and they they perform weirdly in some ways. And so the the question is, do you be mad at Apple for nerfing web apps in WebKit? And the answer is like, yeah, a little bit. But at the end of the day, Apple has engineering priorities just like everybody else, and they're gonna they're gonna put their cycles on improving privacy more than they are on adding you know WebGL improvements or whatever. Uh, so I'm not as angry about that as, as I think I could be. Ooh. Uh, it's it's more, it's more, <laughs> why don't they just allow a competing browser on the platform? A competing right. web rendering engine? Because th- like then Chrome just roll in and be like, you want to run a game streaming service on the iPhone? Just use, use the Chrome rendering engine. Bing, bang, boom. But we know why. This is what this is what I'm getting at. This is why I'm less charitable than you. I know why Safari has nerfed support for web apps. Because Apple, Apple's business priority mm-hmm. is to make the App Store go. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Apple, t- and I understand there's privacy and security. And Apple really oh. cares about that. And mm. I, no doubt that that is idealistically part of Apple's DNA. Yep, I know it is. Yep, I'm not doubtful of that yep. at all. A lot is of the questioning a- is also focused on really specific things that they could have allowed but don't, like access to ARKit and push notifications. Yep. Yeah, this is what I mean. That's a that's a false limitation. No, but like the privacy and security thing, what does Apple not want you to do? Apple does not want arbitrary code to run on the iPhone correct? Mm-hmm. for like a million reasons. Yeah. I think actually chiefly among them is security of a billion installed iOS devices that are a rich target, right? The, mm-hmm. I'm certain the pr- current president in the United States has an iPhone. The last one definitely did, right? <laughs> like these are rich targets that Apple is motivated to protect. And one great way to do it is App Store Review. So they are consistently saying we don't want this other way to run arbitrary code on the yep. on the iPhone, which is a web browser. Yep. If you let the Chrome team put uh, the Chrome the Chromium engine on the iPhone, mm-hmm. now you've inherited all of Chrome's security problems and you cannot possibly review and change them the way that you can with Safari. Yeah. That's a legitimate reason. Yeah. Although you you could you could build a better sandbox. Um, I'm also I want to insert one tiny sidebar here that I'm pretty sure the App Store rules don't let you just put a wrapper around a web app and stick it in the App Store. So not only are they making web apps bad on the iPhone, they are li- it's the the distribution problem. When you think I when you think app, you go to the App Store. And so if you want to make a web app, you actually have to do a bit more to include like. Apple specific SDKs and codes and app stuff to make it more native in order to be allowed in the app store. So they're on like every level, it's just like pushback against web apps that is either like legitimate about privacy or it's about they're protecting their business model or it's both. Right. It's, it's some hybrid of both. And the thing I just keep coming back to is because they don't allow third party browsers. And I do think there's a good reason to, but whatever they do it on the Mac and the Mac is mostly fine. Because they don't allow third-party browsers, effectively they control both platforms on the iPhone. Right. Right. Yeah. They set the ceiling on the limit of web apps, and they absolutely set the ceiling on the business model in the App Store. Yep. So if you want to escape the business model limitations of the App Store and go to the web, you now have to accept performance and capability limitations of Safari. That right. is a lot of control for Apple to hold. And I it's just obvious that they are playing one against the other. And in this case, it seems on the subject of game streaming they are trying to use the web as the escape hatch from the control of the business model and running into what are just the obvious and well-known limitations of mobile safari. Right. And it's also it's also consumer behavior which is which is something that Laurie Wright the Xbox VP like touched on is that 
you can have these web apps and you can force people down that route. But like Apple has taught people for years to go to the app store to get an app. Like people don't go to the web to play games is what Laurie Riot said. Um, so it's like, and, and they had a big back and forth. Like Apple's attorney was like showing all these glowing reviews of xCloud, <laughs> which is still in beta. And <laughs> Which you did with GeForce Now also. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but that's beside the point. It's like, if, if, if this wasn't about a business model thing, list those PWAs in the uh, app store then. Let people discover them from there. Yeah. You know, but so, you yeah. can't. You have to go into the web, go to a URL, tap the share button, add it to your home screen. And then sometimes it doesn't even really work. Like some weird cookie issues happen and mm-hmm. all these, you know, like it's just, it's not, it's not the same. And one day Apple might just decide that cookies are not allowed on Safari at all, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they just did that. Yeah. There is a lot of dynamic between the web apps as an escape hatch that rests with the fact that Apple controls Safari and for some very obvious legitimate reasons and then some very deep, dark business reasons limits its performance. Mm -hmm. This, however, all runs into the next big definitional debate of the trial, which is a general purpose computer and a game console. Laurie Wright is like at the heart of this in, in some ways. Apple actually just asked for her testimony to be stricken. Uh, Tom, what's going on there? Yeah, I didn't realize we'd move on from like Mac versus PC to Windows versus P- uh, Windows versus Xbox, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically what's happened. This is another big part of it. So obviously Apple wants to position the fact that they, they've taken this 30% cut, particularly on games, especially because this is industry standard. You know, like Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, they all take a 30% cut on digital game sales. And then on top of that, whatever you spend within those games. So all the in-app purchases, which is really where the, where the revenue comes from. And it's, it's central to the business model, particularly of Microsoft and Sony for the hardware side, because those guys subsidized that hardware to then get the money back from the software sales. So that's, that's the central thing. So basically the argument is between whether a, a, you can consider a, a PC that you put on your desk, like a Windows PC or a Mac, the same thing as a phone and the same thing as an Xbox or a PlayStation console. Now, this got really interesting in the trial because there was questions like, what is an, what is an Xbox? And like, does it, you know, do you have to plug it into a wall? Can you access your internet banking when you're at doctors with your Xbox? Like, all these, <laughs> these like crazy questions. It makes me want to do all of these ridiculous things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I want to just haul one over into the doctor's office. Yeah, like when, when I go for my COVID shot, I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to bring my Xbox with me. And, and you know, you turn on your balance. Xbox. Yeah. The huge power supply, the lights in the doctor's yeah. office go, whoom. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, that's the fundamental thing that they were, they were really arguing about. And and obviously from Epic's side, they want to position, and, and Microsoft as well, let's be honest, like Microsoft's the quiet like partner in, here, in this as well. But they want to position the iPhone as the same as PC. So therefore it should be open. It should have multiple app stores. Why should Apple be taking a 30% cut on everything? It's a general purpose computer. This, this is the thing they keep saying. It's a general purpose computer because it has access to all these apps. Um, the Xbox, no, no, we can't call that a general purpose computer because, you know, we have a business model that supports it and we need to take that cut. It's basically the, 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 the sort of difference. But where it kind of falls down, where it gets complicated to make those arguments on one side or the other, is that the Xbox also has ne- access to Netflix to various apps. Um, and where do you draw the line between, you know, what is something that's stationary in your home and then what's something that's always in your pocket and a general purpose computer and, like, what's supposed to be specialist? Addy, what are the arguments, right? I mean, they've been kind of funny, but they've been trying to make a bunch of arguments to distinguish these things. 
So yeah, there's the distinction. There's like general purpose versus special purpose computing device. One of the arguments is there are billions of Windows devices. They are, it's like a more important market. It's a market where there's a bunch of, they don't use the word emergent, but the idea is that there's like emergent uses that it's important that you should be able to have this kind of open store because it's a device that you can discover new ways to use it. That like the Xbox, everybody kind of knows what the Xbox is for is the claim that they have this whole business model built around, well, it's for games, except for the time that they wanted to be like a whole media thing, but they don't mention that. And for a PC or for a phone, you're always supposed to be finding new ways that it could be part of your life. I mean, that's very spiritual, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, yes. I mean, there, we're also like weirdly not touching then, I, Apple has introduced this whole other distinction, which is whether or not something has a bunch of personal info on it, that their argument for why the iPhone shouldn't work like Mac OS is that everybody carries their iPhone with them all the time and keeps their life on it. Their claim is nobody leaves an I, a MacBook at, on the train or something like that, uh, which is not my experience mm. of MacBooks, but, <laughs> um, but I'm not sure. I'm paraphrasing all of this a little bit, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Can I admit something? Uh, there is a tiny part of me that's like, yep, Apple's right. A tiny little part oh, yeah. of me that's like, you know, the difference between one thing with a chip and another thing with a chip is just like what the per the company that makes it decides it's allowed to do, right? When the iPhone mm -hmm. first came out, I got in a big argument with my uh, very good friend and co-founder of phonedifferent.com, Mike Overbow, Ooh. and I argued that the very first iPhone was not a smartphone because you could not install a program on it. And later we call them apps. And he called, he yelled at me for uh, engaging in the no true Scotsman fallacy. And we had a whole long debate about <laughs> this it. This is very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I eventually gave up and like, yeah, no, okay. The, the iPhone is a smartphone, but there's still a tiny part of me. That's like, if Apple decides you can't do something on it, if Apple decides it's not a computer. Okay. I don't actually think that I think that the iPhone should be considered a general purpose computer and we should be allowed to do more stuff with it because we paid a lot of money for it. It can do all the things. They just should be allowed to do it. But there is a tiny part of it. that's like, you know what? Okay. They're right. Tiny. Yeah. I, I, so I want to talk about that in the next session. Cause I, we've learned a lot about how Apple perceives the iPhone from the, its emails. And like, I want to spend a lot of time on that. I just want to end this section by, by talking about Microsoft for one second here. Cause Lori Wright was asked, do you make a profit when you sell an Xbox console? And she's like, no. And that has kicked off just a firestorm <laughs> of nonsense. Addy, can you just walk us through that? Yeah. So there, uh, this is again relevant because part of Epic's claim is that consoles are different from smartphones because Apple sells at a profit and Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, maybe it doesn't really specify this, don't, and therefore they're nicer to developers. And so when Lori Wright was asked, well, do you ever, have you ever made a profit on selling an Xbox? Uh, she said no. They then followed up on this later and were like, well, what about later on when manufacturing costs drop? Do you start selling them at a profit then later in the generation? She's just like, no. Uh, and then my, Microsoft started making public statements, which Tom can explain. <laughs> yeah, so they were—they basically wanted to remind everyone. Yeah, we, you know, we do make money on Xbox. 
Oh, like, Which is weird because they made a huge point of that in court. Like, yeah. Their entire argument is, yes, we don't make money on the hardware, but then we sell all of these things and we have to take our 30% cut because without that, we wouldn't make any money because, again, we don't sell these things at a profit. And, and, and Laurie Wright did touch on it briefly because they, they said, well, if you're not making money on these things, like, why are you selling them sort of thing? And and she was like, you know, it's a, an end-to-end experience, but... Uh, and 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 that it relies on software and games and stuff but like it, it it is like like i was saying like they they sell these for a loss they make it up in in software and in-app purchases particularly so games like minecraft and fortnite are huge for for, for that revenue stream um and it's whether and, but, and this is all part of epic's argument right is yeah we know the deal going in with microsoft and sony mm-hmm. that that's how their business works yeah. They p- can play Microsoft and Sony against each other. There are emails to that effect. Mm-hmm. There's Tim Sweeney telling Sony you have to enable crossplay, otherwise you will tear families apart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. And then like they they negotiate on the on the margins of those deals mm-hmm. and they know like, okay, this is the ecosystem we're playing in. And yeah. this is the business model. But there's all these competitors and we can kind of like play them against each other. They cannot do that with Apple, right? It's like Apple's where the highway, basically. And that is a big part of it. I'm interested in, I hadn't personally known like the so- intricacies of the Sony deal that Epic has, where like if you play Fortnite a bunch on the PlayStation, but you spend more money on like Android or something, then Epic has to send Sony money. Yeah. And yeah. that one, I mean, that's, that's a whole can of worms to open. <laughs> but like that, that one is essentially like, I and Tim Sweeney has admitted that no other platform holder does that. So I think that's literally like Sony knowing that like 50, 60% of the Fortnite revenue that uh, that Epic makes comes from the PlayStation. Um, And that's them being like, it's also a big revenue driver for us and we want to protect that so like if if our fans are using the you know playstation predominantly and then they're going to play some time on iphone but then they start spending more money on the iphone then you need to protect our revenue stream you know like if we're going to enable this cross play that's basically that what they've done there but no other platform holders impose that mm. as far as we can tell we, if we, believe we really soon, could but. spend <laughs> I, I That's just like a point. whole other thing. But. Before we yeah. before we, we break, I just want to say that if the rule for is it a computer is did the company make money selling it, then Google has never made a computer. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, Are they committed to it for more than two years? <laughs> Google has never sold a computer. Uh, no, I just want to end on this because, one, we could fall down the rabbit hole of the metaverse is actually a totally dystopian surveillance state where every single thing you do is monetized through a set of opaque deals between giant multinational corporations that you can't see, which is true. But Laurie Wright saying that on the stand, Microsoft coming back and saying no Xbox is profitable led to this moment today where before the trial kickoff today, Apple filed a motion and said we need to strike all of Laurie Wright's testimony is not credible because she has not produced Microsoft's P&L for Xbox proving that they sell the consoles at a loss. We don't know it. She just said it. We don't know it. We don't have any documentation. None of this is credible. Yeah. This, Addy, to me, is part of like this the larger chaos around document production that has plagued this entire trial so far, where like it seems like every couple of minutes they just yell at each other about what documents will be produced, and then we're watching the public box folder and like literally watching PDFs just appear and disappear. Yeah. You know, we designated people to just start downloading them to our own folder so that we well, like, well, like, the I don't know if I'm supposed to admit that. Um, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, Apple and Epic did not hire cheap law firms. Yeah. Like, these are the 
mm-hmm. biggest and best law firms around. Like Epic's law firm in particular just won a gigantic antitrust case that they were supposed to lose for American Express at the Supreme Court. Like they're, they're spending a lot of money on lawyers, and I I can't figure out how to make sense of these seemingly rookie mistakes about document production. There's also all of the third-party stuff where Samsung had wanted some stuff to be sealed. Um, anybody who's basically dealing with Apple and Epic and has some kind of deal, like at one point, like Paradox Interactive, the studio wanted to keep details of their Epic Game Store deal, I believe, secret. Um, so there's that whole whole can of worms, too. And the Sony documents that we were just talking about, the cross-pay stuff, Sony wanted to keep those secret. And as far as I know, they've not been republished. So we have documents that are like partially redacted but aren't in, in in the public domain anymore effectively although they are because we wait, have them no but... they are in the public domain they were no the judge says that she's yeah. not going to reseal them yeah um, oh, she the genie's okay. out of the bottle okay yeah i just don't want to but that if we ha- publish them again i don't want the lawsuit where like they're like <laughs> quoting you tom like no they're public now we have them <laughs> they're just not part of the record anymore yeah um but i haven't seen them, it, them appear again so i, I was so. just like i just want to end on this like color like we're arguing about all these definitions and these executives are saying things. And we're at the point where just think about this. Apple is saying the testimony of Microsoft's Xbox, a vice president of business development is not credible, yeah. right? That's their official motion. Like you should not believe this woman. She runs Xbox. Like that is a crazy place. This trial has landed at because the stakes of the fight are so enormous. This is a good place to take a break. When I come back, I want to talk about what we have learned about Apple. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. 
or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. Dieter, just before we took a break, you were talking about Apple controlling the phone, being at peace with the fact that the companies that make the devices can call them computers. I'm not actually at peace with it. I'm just saying a part of me wants to be so I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Can I just accept this so that I can move on? And the answer is no, we can't. Right. (laughs) One decade of the show has proven that we cannot do that. (laughs) But we have learned a lot about how Apple perceives the iPhone. We've learned a lot about how much it controls the iPhone. And I don't know, we've like, Addy, to some extent, one of the big questions of this entire case is like, is the App Store any good? Right? Does like do the things that Apple says it does? Yeah, which Apple has, again, because they have characterized this whole trial as an assault on the iPhone and the App Store in a lot of antitrust standard involves is this hurting consumers. It's a big deal. So let's start with, the, I think, the, the first bombshell that we learned about as the emails came out. So Netflix is obviously a very popular app on the store. For a long time, Netflix, what you sign up in the app, so you could subscribe to Netflix in the iOS app, Apple would take its 30% cut. Netflix decides to A-B test how badly it's hurt by not allowing signups in the app. That's it. They just, they're going to A-B test it. They haven't even done it. Apple like freaks out basically and circulates an email and a, I guess it's a deck. It's like a list of things they can do to keep Netflix on the store. This list is, the list is nuts, but it's also to be clear, like ultra clear. We don't know. I think that Apple actually pitched any of this to Netflix. We know that they were like in a deck internally saying, here are some pie in the sky ideas of things that we might consider doing to keep Netflix using in-app purchases. And it's like wild stuff. Okay, so here's the list. And this is labeled what we could do. We could continue coordinated featuring across iOS and Apple TV. We could provide performance data that they don't provide other people, impressions, conversion rates, installs, give them the power to determine what shows we feature. We could bundle it on Apple TV. We could offer more benefits in the video partner program. We could co-fund marketing to drive customer acquisition. We could pay for their ads. We could give them a percent of the app source commission committed to buying ads for Netflix. So Apple would take a 30% cut of Netflix's money. Yep from subscriptions, and then just reallocate that money to buying ads for Netflix in the App Store, which you will note is effectively lowering the commission, but just keeping all the money inside the Apple ecosystem. Dedicated emails promoting only the Netflix app. They could bundle Netflix into Apple service. They could hold events at the store. They could do today in Apple uh, US in-store events promoting Netflix's IP. Like, anything to keep Netflix from doing an A-B test of turning off iOS signups, which eventually Netflix did and does not appear to have hurt Netflix. I look at this and I say, this is nuts. This is where Apple's monkeying around with the business model of another company is 
totally a reflection of its control of the app store. And they know that every time you push a button in an app, they should get a cut. And now here's a list where Netflix is saying, we don't know if this 30% cut is valuable. And Apple is coming up with a laundry list of things it can do to make that 30% cut more valuable. If you abstract it away, just one step back, what does that look like? That looks like a negotiation, right? And that's what you would want. We want to take some money every time somebody does a transaction with you. Here's all the stuff we could do to make it worth your while. What do you think? And Netflix can say yes or no, and eventually, apparently, they said no. No other app developer gets to have that negotiation unless they're Amazon, <laughs> which said yes and took a lower rate. But like to me, this is, do you want your operating system vendor to exercise control of the applications such that it can start messing around with the business models of the company that companies that run on the operating system. I, I, this is where it gets really shaky for me. I don't know if the judge saw it this way, but I looked at this set of emails and I was like, Oh, I'm like really uncomfortable with this. I think I'm also uncomfortable that whilst, whilst these decisions are being made like this and you know, this is business dealings that happen all across the world with various, various happenings. Apple's public front is that we treat developers fairly all the same. We treat them the same. What are you on about? We, we don't do you know, deals. We don't do whitelisting of uh, private APIs or anything like that. Everyone's treated the same, but it's not the case. I really wish that had come up. Yes. So yesterday that almost came up mm. when mm. they were asking about, do you give special deals with, I think it was, it was either Matt Fisher or one of the other people who's a like app store review executive. He was like, no, we do not do uh, our review policies, treat everyone the same. We don't give special dispensations. It was worded like carefully enough that I think it did not cover the kind of things that this was talking about. It was like, we won't kick people off for different reasons, but I really wish they had followed up and they kind of left it hanging. And so this brings us to the Hulu emails. Hulu was whitelisted to use a special set of APIs for the store where you could subscribe to Hulu in the app and then the Hulu app could unsubscribe you, which for most other apps, you have to go into Apple's settings app or wherever they manage that. But the Hulu app could actually unsubscribe you. So Hulu, when they launched their live TV service, needed to unsubscribe people from Apple billing so they could bring you over to Hulu mm -hmm. and they basically built a button on their website and their app that like let you do it. This was tweeted out by a developer named David Bernard in September of 2018. This generates an email inside of Apple. I don't know this person's last name, but this email says, Phil saw this and wants to know what's going on. <laughs> Phil. I don't know. I don't know Phil's last name. Phil saw this and wants to know what's going on. This sets off an email chain inside of Apple between people that basically ends with, did anybody go through Hulu's flows, like payment flows, before they rolled this out? Which is just wild, right? Like, you're an app developer. You've got access to APIs. You're going to build stuff. At what point are you like, wait, I need to go ask the OS vendor if this application flow is okay. I need to go ask the operating system vendor if they're going to stop us. I will tell you that I just signed up for Hulu with live TV like two days ago at my parents' house, trying to get them off of their horrible AT&T service. And we had it billed through Apple. And to, un to get that billing canceled and moved over to Hulu billing, so I had, I had to call Hulu. Whoa. And we had to go through all the steps. So all this was removed. That, to me, is like even more of control. Like This is Hulu has the APIs, and they're using it to support their services. They're whitelisted. They've been given permission. 
and Apple saying, wait, hold on. We're not going to let them turn off our billing so they can charge more elsewhere. And Phil wants to know what's going on. I'm just uncomfortable with all of this. I, I don't know what to like. It's weird to think of the iPhone as this mobbed up, right? That's what this feels like is every time they see money th flowing through the phone in weird ways that don't benefit them, there's an email chain. And then like the weight of app store review is brought to bear so that that process is bent back towards Apple's flows. Now I, I hear this from a lot of listeners. Every time I do an episode of antitrust law, I get these notes in my email inbox. This is why we pay Apple to protect us, right? I choose the iPhone because I want Apple in this level of control. I trust them. I trust their taste. I like their products. They make great products. The M1 chip is going to blow up. The, like, I get it. I hear all of that. I don't think we've gotten to the next part of this trial, which is like, it is all but impossible to switch away from the iPhone. So if you don't like it, Apple is also trying to actively lock you in. And I think Epic hasn't really made that case yet, but I suspect they're going to start soon. Yeah, yesterday was all about, like, actually, it's not protecting you. Um, I'm hoping they get into this next. Let's talk about the, the not protecting you. So they asked a lot of questions of, of Apple of, like, have you measured the security of the App Store? Have you measured if it's keeping people safe? Prove it. And Apple kind of said, we haven't done that. They basically, yeah, they, well, pretty much any claim that Apple made, Epic was like, well, do you have studies on that? And they're like, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like, I don't know, maybe Tom, you think differently. I felt like they didn't make a particularly strong case because so much of their case yesterday for why the app store isn't safe is that they just went through a bunch of developer feedback. And whenever anyone said something sucked, they just <laughs> read it out without details, which like, I don't know, have you ever gotten feedback about anything? Someone will, like, it just made, they didn't do a great job of not establishing it was not cherry picking, especially because there was one where someone was like, this thing is plagued with scams. And then they read the line out above that. And he's like, even though I gave the app store a high rating, it does have a few pitfalls. Yeah. It's just weird because I everything I read about is like, okay, the app store does actually have tons of scams. Like we featured uh, someone who just hunts scams that seems like there are a bunch of great examples they could have cited and it felt like they were really weak. Yeah, like Apple's Apple's thing is obviously privacy and security. And like we have to protect like think of the children. Basically that's that's what the argument is, <laughs> is right? Because <laughs> like we need to protect everyone, like yeah cover you in cotton wool and like that th that's fair like that's why i like the iphone that's why a lot of people like the iphone that's why developers trust the iphone but we know security is not 100 percent. we know that the app store review process is is not great we've seen phil schiller screaming about it in emails like we know this and scam apps are coming through um i think sean did a great story piecing together some like a, a person on twitter is literally finding scam apps that are scamming sub substantial amounts of money out of people on the app store like on a regular basis like on a daily weekly basis so they obviously have some review issues there we haven't had like this massive like thing with the iphone where they've had like, a major security uh, event like a major apps got in there like 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 what we've seen on Windows recently where there's been these crazy ransomware attacks. We haven't mm -hmm. seen that on the iPhone. But I feel like it's it's only a matter of time that that perhaps happens or some something happens and, and the, the, the wall falls down a little bit. But these scam apps are like the very start of that, you know. Like it's, it's these little things that creep in 
and Apple's argument about that sort of stuff is like, yeah, like we don't want to open up the store because of these sort of source gamut. We don't want other you know stores on on the iPhone because this is the sort of stuff that will happen. Like all these things will happen. We don't want to open up Safari because you know. Yeah, but like think about it this way, like. I like like you know many people. I'm a raging capitalist. <laughs> it's true. A- Apple's accountability for that stuff getting through is totally muted. Yeah. So if you if you hear that scams are getting through in the app store and you're like, I don't trust this anymore. Well, tough. <laughs> yeah, where else are you going right? to go? Like, <laughs> like you can't point your dollars somewhere else. Yeah. Unless you switch platforms, and then your friends won't talk to you anymore because your bubble's green. Like. That is a real dynamic at play here where just like the basic accountability mechanism of the market is blunted. Like Apple can screw up the app store a lot, right? It, can, it could let a major scam app go through. It could let a virus go through. And I, you know, I think again, idealistically, like they don't want that to happen and they try hard not to let it happen and they believe they shouldn't let it happen. They invest in making sure it doesn't happen. But if it did, the actual repercussions for Apple would not be felt Right, because I wouldn't throw my iPhone away and, and go buy an Android phone. Well, I might, but like a <laughs> lot of people would be like, "Well, there's nothing I can do. Like, yeah. there's not another app store I trust more." Yeah, and I, that to me, there's like, I don't know if the Epic versus Apple lawsuit is going to get to that point, but that to me is like what's coming out here a lot. Like, we know Apple uses the lever of the app store to achieve business outcomes in a way that is uncomfortable, and a- Epic is trying really hard to show that the mechanism the app storm doesn't even accomplish necessarily the things Apple says it does. Yeah. And this is kind of like part of Epic's argument and Tim Sweeney in general is that like, he's like essentially arguing, should, should you trust Apple with this? Like this, this amount of power and for them to control the app store in this way, like, do we, do we trust all of that? And it, he, he like back in, I think it was like 2015, like Microsoft tried to do a similar thing to the app store, really, let's be honest, on, on the Windows side. They were, they were trying to lock down Windows to S versions, which would only work with their store apps. So very similar to iOS model. And, and Sweeney came out really, you know, against that, saying it should be an open model. And, and they kind of listened to him, to be honest, and welcomed him on stage when they were opening up their app store and changing <laughs> their policies and stuff. Well, but like there's a, the, the tiny difference with that is, the Windows App Store apps when Windows uh, S mode was available were not good. And it was maybe an no. attempt to be a forcing function to like get good apps into the Windows S mode App Store. But yeah, no, it was bad. <laughs> and like that's yeah. one of the things here is like, is the App Store any good? Well, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of really good apps in it. And that's like, that's one of the things at play here. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to argue against because... I, I genuinely believe like there's teams at Apple that are trying to keep these things secure. They're trying to get the apps in there, but then there's that push and pull with the business process. Like the, the, we're getting a bit of an insight into it's like, but what level does that goodness of like keeping the, the app store healthy and consumer friendly and everything else then kind of break down because it, you know, Apple wants it to be a certain way and they want to control it in a certain way. And I think that's, that's kind of the arguments here is, it's so hard to like argue and we're seeing it with Epic games that I don't, I honestly don't feel like their argument is particularly strong yet because it's very hard to argue this case. One thing I'm kind of surprised I haven't heard come up is piracy because that's like maybe the number one thing that, or number two after fragmentation that keeps game developers on iOS is that it's a lot harder to pirate an app and put it on there. 
And if you make an Android version, then somebody's going to crack it and give you an APK. Yep. And mm. it's odd that I feel like I haven't heard anybody even gesture to it. That's true. And yeah. it's, it's also like developers flock to iOS first. Like we see it time after time. Like the, There's reasons for that. The tooling is better. The, the, the app store discovery is better. But they, they will market your app better. Like there's plenty of reason. Like the consumers at the end of the day spend more money on the, on the app store than they do on Android. Like they, they, there's plenty of reasons that this app store is good. But as we see, there are some like lurking reasons that some of it should be questioned. Yeah. I will say, Addy brought up uh, Android fragmentation. One thing we learned from this trial, talk about ancient Vergecast topics. Apple surveyed a bunch of developers, and the developers told Apple that Android fragmentation is not really a problem anymore. Hmm. Yes, they, that was a just, really interesting thing from the from the trial. They just target a handful of the most popular phones, and that's the end of the day. And they, the same developers told Apple that Apple has so many phones that iOS fragmentation is also a problem. So they've like arrived at the same conclusion. <laughs> like... You have too many screen sizes and chips, and like we're doing the same thing on Android as we do on iOS, which is we just t- target the top of the market and let things fall where they may. Addy, this all brings me to kind of the, the biggest question. Yep, this is a bunch of stuff we talked about for literally years on the show, and we can talk about it forever. There's only one person who matters. That is a judge. Judge Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers. What does she think? I mean, I'm going to caveat this by saying that I don't want to seem confident at all because I think that it's really hard to tell what judges think when they ask questions. (laughs) Like, so just I want that to be the baseline is that I am reading tea leaves. But she seems skeptical of a bunch of this kind of distinctions that Epic is drawing. Like she, whenever she has jumped in, it's often to question Epic trying to make or like Microsoft trying to make some kind of very clear binary between, say, general purpose and specific purpose devices. She's like, okay, well, does it just have to be one thing? Like, what if this thing is is media, like one category? So that she seemed kind of fuzzy on, um, questioning whether Fortnite is actually a some kind of metaverse experience or something that basically is a game, but you get this extra perk where you can go into a lobby and have con- like concerts. Also, uh, there was one sort of odd aside where she... We're not odd, but like tangential aside where she's like, well, look, maybe actually it should be harder to buy V-Bucks. Maybe we want a bunch of friction in and out purchases because your entire audience is kids and they shouldn't be able to make impulse buys. Does she and have that's kids? what I it bet. seems like you're asking for. I feel like she has like a teenager who spent like $500 on V-Bucks. And like that's where that came from. I do think she said as a parent. Yeah. I have no idea what, what kind of kid she has. But she, she also jumped in when the discussion about like the Xbox and been able to check your banking on it. And she's like, you know, I could, I could do that on my Xbox, right? <laughs> well, it has a browser. <laughs> yeah. The banking, the banking example wrong. is like really interesting to me, right? Like th- we know Apple controls a huge chunk of the app experience and like is in the weeds of these app developers. Like there are emails at Apple talking about whether you should be able to buy Bitcoin in your banking app, which is an in-app purchase of a digital good. Like they have to have a policy that sorts that out. And they are going to have to deal with that and figure out a definition and a set of conditional statements that says, okay, you can buy Bitcoin in the, in the cash app, but you can't buy V bucks in Fortnite, And that means something to us. And like I, that level of like literal economic control is like just deeply weird to me. Like that's where Apple has landed itself at. I, I say, is the judge buying it? Like, my bet is that the judge is like, this case is dumb. It started because you <laughs> broke your contract. 
I don't really care. Like, go home, right? Like, that's kind of her posture. <laughs> Maybe she's going to get convinced by iMessage switching costs. Maybe she's going to get convinced that Bandersnatch is a video game. Maybe she's going to get convinced that Apple does anti-competitive stuff. But, like, that's where she's at overall so far, in my opinion. At the same time, Epic has just escalated this conversation way out of this trial, right? Like, it is national news, international news. Lawmakers are paying attention to this stuff. There are hearings. It is empowered and sort of, I don't know, given other developers the confidence to say this stuff is happening to us too. Like, that's my mentions. Uh, yesterday, I retweeted a Ben Thompson thread from last June where he's like, all kinds of developers are telling me that Apple's strong-arming them into adding in-app purchases. That's weird. Like, I don't know. I, I, I can't not put it in the context of, well, two weeks ago, Senator Klobuchar was on Decoder talking about her hearing in the App Store and her book about antitrust. And then Epic, maybe they'll lose, but they are they are doing what they can to change the public perception of Apple. And there's a part of it that it just, to me at least, seems to be working, regardless of what the judge thinks. As you said, like the sort of prototypical antitrust case is something that like the Justice Department or the FTC brings, and that's definitely not off the table. I think it will ultimately feed into whatever the EU does. Because we don't still we still don't really know exactly what they're doing they're doing there. Like they they've obviously done the Spotify music stuff, but they've also mentioned there's a bunch of cases. Like it's not yeah. it's not just that. Um so I feel like they're they're waiting on this sort of stuff as well to like see what comes out of this. Um and there's a lot of stuff coming out. Um and if there's one thing we know about the EU, it's that it loves doing stuff. <laughs> does the stuff work? <laughs> Who knows? Especially to American companies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just love doing it. Like browser ballots. That's an idea. We had it. Did it work? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you just look at how this whole thing started, it started with a giant media campaign where Epic made a parody video of the original Apple 1984 commercial. I'm sure they want to win this case, but I am more sure that they want to change the perception of Apple because that's like, that's honestly how they started this whole thing. For some reason, I find the email where they say uh, they that has been surfaced during this, where they're like, "Yeah, this will make us not look like the baddies." <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things from this trial. Uh, we should mention that this entire project of Epic is called Project Liberty. Yeah, like yeah, they're on a high horse here, and it's. I think Liz is working. She wrote a, a long piece this week, which was great about why Epic is burning all this cash. Like the Epic Game Store doesn't make any money this lawsuit might not work and it's definitely they're spending a lot of money and she's like burning all that cash is worth it to epic if they are in control of the metaverse right if this like massive virtual world where epic is in charge of things and gets to make business deals around it that's a much bigger payoff than whatever this is costing them now and like yep epic's on its high horse and people like fortnite the metaverse is like an even more all controlling economic environment. And that's the thing they're looking at. And so, yep. Uh, you know, it's the, um, it's two giants fighting and we're just here asking what a computer is basically is my, <laughs> my takeaway from this trial so far, but this ends with Epic. Epic makes a phone. Uh, it works I mean, for, it's a metaverse phone. Make, work, a for, phone. work for Facebook real well. Uh, disclosure, my wife works for uh, Oculus, a division of Facebook. It completely failed for yeah, Facebook. Yeah, and then what did Oculus build? They built a VR, what did Facebook build? They built the Oculus VR headset, which now runs the uh, entire category of VR. Yeah. Yeah. 
to I will the point that companies refuse to compete with it. As we are uh, recording this, this morning, uh, Mark Zuckerberg gave an interview to CNET where he was like, I believe the future is the metaverse. Does he think the future of the metaverse is Tim Sweeney's metaverse or Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse? Like, at the end of the day, there's one of these overlords. All right, I pick Apple. I'm with Dieter. It's whatever. <laughs> no, this is the answer to what's a computer is who makes the most money when you push a button. That's it. Yeah. It's, it seems depressing. Pretty much. Whatever. I'm going to start using open source like web browsers on Linux. Again. This came up in trial. Linux, Epic says, is particularly has a reputation for being particularly difficult to deal with. Oh, great. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, we got to make a phone. Honestly, the economic future for all of us is multiple competing phones. The Verge is making a phone. You heard it here first. We have gone over, as always, I want to just mention a few things. The other huge news this week is that the Facebook Oversight Board issued half a decision on whether or not Facebook was correct to ban Trump. I say half a decision because they said the ban was correct, but they punted it back to Facebook to make an actual policy about that that they will then review in six months. I did an entire episode of Decoder with Kate Klonick, who's a, a law professor who's deeply studied the oversight board. That's coming out on Tuesday. By the way, think about this. Uh, this is really on my mind. Between the oversight board and this whole app store review process, two of the biggest and most important companies in America now have things that look like legal systems in courts. And they are deeply in control of what you can and cannot do and the money you can and cannot make. That's nuts. Someone should make a sci-fi movie about that. Just putting that out there. Call me. I got ideas. Um, <laughs> another piece of very Verge Casting news, the New York Attorney General finished an investigation into all the fake comments that hit the FCC's website during the net neutrality comment period. Yeah, they were all just like broadband industry bots. Yeah. Like just straight up 18 million out of 22 million were just like fake. 8.5 million of those 18 were from the broadband industry. We knew it. I want to credit Fight for the Future in, in Gizmodo in particular, who like led that entire charge of investigating that stuff. Uh, but the attorney general's investigation said it's true. I don't know if that means anything, but it's very validating to know that our suspicions are correct. And lastly, if you have a Peloton treadmill, uh, just, I don't know, put it, put it far away from you until the recall takes hold and the truck comes to your house. Yeah. Because <laughs> they are indeed very dangerous. And also Peloton has an API bug that may have exposed user data. Cool. Not a good day for exercising. By the way, who is the Pelotonic computer? That's just an Android tablet. A bad uh, one, apparently. Well, did it have it, to moderate QAnon content? I think that makes it a computer. <laughs> it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a computer that wants to crush small children. Because yeah. that video was terrifying. The video is terrifying. If you have one of those things, um, yeah, just uh, set it aside. But it is just an Android tablet. I'm just putting That's all it is. Okay. That's it. That's the Vergecast. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Addy is at the Dextriarchy. Tom is at Tom Warren. Both of them are live treating the trial, except for this hour a week for the next two weeks when I make them come on the show and talk about what happens. Follow them. Uh, Liz, who's at the trial today in person, is at MS Lopato. Lots of trial coverage coming. Is May 12th next week already? That's nuts. Yeah, that sounds right. I want to call out that uh, next Wednesday on May 12th, we are having, speaking of broadband, we're having a virtual event with Senator Ed Markey, the Democrat from Massachusetts. McKenna is going to be talking to him about uh, broadband infrastructure and building a better internet in the United States. Very cool. Like I said, next week, Kate Klonick talking about Facebook oversight board on Decoder with me. That's it. I think that's the whole thing. That's the first cast. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Get a vaccine. <laughs>